1: Cease, I'm so glad to see you. I feel awful for sending your letters back. I don't even know what happened in New York. I don't care anymore. I want you to know, whatever it was you said, I forgive you. Go home. I have nothing to say to you. No. I do have something to say. You and your letters. You know, every time I opened one of them, I was happy before I even read it. Just to get them made me feel important. All your crappy stories, your big dreams. I didn't know that. Well, what the hell did you know? Did you know how bad things were for me? Did you know my career was in the toilet? No, because you never answered one of my letters. If you'd only answered one, just one, tell me what a jerk I was, anything. I don't know how to fight back. I'm not strong like you. You took away your friendship without even discussing it with me. That friendship was more important to me than anything. I trusted it. I believed in it. But you didn't. And now it's gone. Thank you very very much for forgiving me. But I don't forgive you. I was jealous. I was so jealous of you I couldn't see straight. You did everything. You said you were going to do everything. And your talent, this incredible talent. I, I can't even yodel. Harry! what's yodeling got to do with it?
2: Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, and I'm the creator and host of the 80s flick flashback podcast. We talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which flick we choose for each episode, we'll have a lot of fun sharing our memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind the scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. No bikinis, no blankets, no bingo. This awkwardly titled 80s flick is a bosom buddy movie about a friendship that was destined to be, like Surf and Turf, Eminem's, Laverne and Shirley, Lucy and Ethel, maybe even Cagney and Lacey. As most buddy movie rules require, it is a tale of enduring friendship between desperate souls formed against the odds. Their ups and downs, jealousy and redemption, and thanks to Bette Midler, show-stopping musical numbers. So grab some tissues because I'm sure tears will shed as Bethany Wells and I discuss Beaches from 1988 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Welcome in everybody. Glad to have you on another episode. Um, glad to have Bethany back. Welcome, Bethany Wells, uh, the wonderful wife of Laramie <laughs> Wells. Uh, the Hi. wind beneath the wind beneath his wings. May I dare say? <laughs>
0: I don't know how I feel about that.
2: (laughs) So uh, glad to have Bethany back on the the podcast. Always a pleasure to have her uh, with us. So, um, and she has read the book uh, that this movie was based on. So we're gonna we're gonna dig kind of pretty deep in this one. Uh, So let's let's get started. How are you doing, Bethany? You you excited about this
3: one?
0: I'm doing pretty good. I've I've calmed down from all of the crying earlier. So we're good now. Right. Honestly, this one, I don't know if, this one doesn't hit me as bad as Steel Magnolias Mm. does. Yeah. Like, I still get a little choked up, but um, it's not quite as bad as the last one. Yeah,
2: yeah. I agree. This one, this didn't hit me quite as hard watching it again as I thought it would. (laughs) And it was funny because I was almost through and my wife came in. And she was like, "What are you watching?" I said, "I'm watching Beaches." Oh, the saddest movie ever made. <laughs> it just walked out of the room. It's <laughs> like, oh, at least we know how you feel about it. So
3: yeah.
2: But uh, so uh, anyway, so, so let's jump right in. So when did you okay. see Beaches for the very first time?
0: Oh gosh, it it was probably something my mom watched and I watched with her. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out in '88, which was right. the the year I was born. So okay. I. Didn't see it in theaters.
2: <laughs> <No>.
3: <laughs> but
0: I do. I do remember watching it as a kid a little bit, but because it is such a sad bummer of an ending, it's not something my mom watched a ton. Right. But it right. was something she appreci- appreciated if it was on. We would watch it together.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, um, I saw this one on VHS. I have. I shouldn't say I have very. Dis- I have a distinct memory of this movie. But I don't remember if it's the first time I saw it, or I, I don't think it was the first time. But actually, a friend of mine, uh, Derek Deal, and if he's ever listened to the podcast, what's up, Derek? Uh, Derek Deal was a good friend of mine. Uh, this was this was this was probably in '89, between '88 and '89, when it was pro- when it was on VHS, and he had seen it first and told me that I had to watch it. <laughs> I don't think that we watched it together the first time. I think he just recommended it, and How then I watched you? it. I was Eighty summer of eighty nine. I was, was between my um, eighth grade and ninth grade years, so between middle school and high school.
0: <laughs> That's a weird movie for an eighth <laughs> grader to yeah. watch.
2: Yeah, there was that one, and then another movie that I think of. Derek was a movie called Stealing Home with Mark Harmon and Jodie Foster. It. Oh. I'm, I mean, it's if you find it, it's a rarity, but it was another VHS melodramatic, very heavy emotional movie. Uh, but it was really good, so he was good about you know those kind of movies. So yeah, so I have this memory of the of of Derek recommended the movie to uh, beaches to me, and then we went actually went to the beach. We went to Ocean City, Maryland. We were living in Maryland oh. at the time, and uh, so I don't know if he owned the movie, but for some reason I remember us watching this with two girls we met at the beach like mm. one afternoon, like yeah, it's like you know uh, <laughs> we're gonna have this tearjerker movie. Or maybe he watched it. I don't remember, but I I, I associate this movie with Derek because I remember him recommending it to me and being like, "That's a weird movie you to recommend to your friend." But
0: <laughs> in we eighth were, grade, you know,
2: yeah, eighth grade. Well, yeah, we were we were you know we were cool like that. So yeah. Uh, but I but I was a I I can't really say that I was a Bette Midler fan before that, but that made me really appreciate who she was as an artist, and I love the music, the songs in it. Oh, I actually yeah. had the I had the soundtrack, I had the vinyl LP soundtrack for this. Uh, I probably still have it somewhere. I was gonna try to dig it up, but uh, so when all the songs came on in the movie, I was like, "Oh man, I remember this! I remember these songs so well." So, uh, so yeah. that was my first experience. So, and I think I I watched it a few times then, and then when it came on cable, I remember recording it and I would watch it. You know, I think mainly for the music performances uh, more so than anything else, because that's what I really remember of the movie more than anything else was all the music in it. So it's like. Is it a musical? It's really like, is this a musical? Is it it's a quasi musical?
0: I listened to the commentary and Gary Marshall was very quick to say it is not a musical. <laughs> but a tidbit he did bring up was at the very beginning when she is rehearsing at the mm-hmm. Hollywood Bowl. Right. Um, The piano player mm-hmm. that's helping her rehearse is Mark Shaman, who wrote the music for the musical Hairspray on Broadway. Oh, OK. Wow. And he also picked the songs, he he helped pick the songs that were used in the movie Beaches, including When Beneath My Wings.
2: Oh, okay, yeah. We'll talk a little bit about that as we get going too, so we'll see if our stories coincide or not, so. Okay. But cool. So when was the last time you watched it uh, all the way through before watching it for the podcast?
0: Um, I would probably say it's not one that I watch a ton. No. But, um... Back when Lifetime released mm-hmm. their version of it right. with Idina Menzel, right. I, I think I started to watch it, or I was like, ooh, in order to get ready to watch this, <laughs> I'll watch the original. And then I don't know if I ever did watch the Lifetime version. Yeah. So.
2: I didn't see I didn't see that one, but I didn't see very good reviews for it either. And I think I remember yeah. that when it came out that it did not get very good reviews for it. So, but even though I'll probably, <laughs> at some point I'll probably watch it, but.
0: I still want to watch it i love idina mm-hmm. we're we're best friends so i call her idina <laughs> but yeah i it, it was one where i was like oh yeah i want to see that and then it came out and i just never
2: right yeah right. i get it i understand I, there's lots of movies i'll i'll have a fleeting thought like oh i want to watch this and then mm-hmm. i don't ever get around to it so it happens oh, yeah too much. There's, you know, right now there's too much content everywhere. It's like movies are too accessible. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting on soapbox. I'll get off in a second. But it's <laughs> like, and I, you know, I'm, a, I'm in a lot of these 80s groups on Facebook, uh, which is great. I enjoy seeing all the nostalgia. It's just, it helps me get through my day a lot of the times. But there's been one going on lately. It's like, the this generation doesn't understand the joy of going to Blockbuster. Like it's like, Netflix is cool and all, but this generation doesn't understand the excitement of going to a Blockbuster and walking the store and finding the movie that you're going to watch that night. And it, it was, it was yeah. an event. It wasn't just, all oh, let me, Talking yeah, to people. Yeah. Or getting recommendations like, from the people at the store yeah. and stuff like that, so... I really missed that.
0: Speaking as someone who was one of the people (laughs) working at the store giving recommendations, Mm -hmm. I also forget, like, you know, I worked there for about a year and a Mm half-ish, right towards the end, because, you know, everybody knows Blockbuster went Mm -hmm. bankrupt in, like, the mid-2000s. But what a lot of people don't realize, because a lot of the stores closed at that Mm -hmm. time, was then Dish Network bought it out. Right. and so there were still a few stores around until 2013 when Dish Network decided to close all mm. the stores, except for one who, that they were not bought out by Dish Network. as right. a whole. Watch That's the documentary. Yeah. and has nothing to do yeah. with, has nothing to do <laughs> with beaches. But I was, <laughs> I was one of the people that found out that Blockbuster was going to be sold or closed by Dish mm. Network on Twitter. Oh,
2: wow. <laughs>
3: like
0: I was working there. I got a. Text from Laramie, and he says, "Like, have you seen mm-hmm. this?" And it's a screenshot of Twitter saying, "You know, Blockbuster to close all their stores by this date." And I was like, mm, "No." And then, like twenty minutes later, my boss texts wow. me, and she goes, "Well, I don't know if you saw, but
3: so. wow, yeah. So, yeah,
0: I'm not bitter at all."
2: <laughs> yeah, there's. A, I watched the. Uh, have you seen the documentary about the last Blockbuster? Yeah, yes. I watched that a while back. Ago. It's, it- probably harder for you to watch than it, than it was for me.
0: It was really hard cuz there's this there's this scene that probably nobody else gives a <laughs> snot about. But the woman who runs the mm-hmm. store, the store manager, she goes into the back because she's got a she bought up all the right, old computers right, yes. from the old stores to replace
2: parts. The inventory thing only works on that type of computer that's been extinct yes. for 20 years now. <laughs>
0: I was triggered by that scene. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's mine. <laughs> that's my computer. <laughs> and, and just uh, my head went back to that screen. Mm-hmm. I can still see that screen that was outdated mm-hmm. long before I even started working at the store. And it was just very, <laughs> took me back and, into a very uncomfortable place. Right, right. Okay. Well, let's... <laughs> of having to restart my computer and <laughs> freezing. And...
2: All right. Well, enough blockbuster stories. Let's let's get down to more uncomfortable and un- uncomfortableness.
0: Yeah. yeah, different uncomfortable. Right, right.
2: All right. Well, unfortunately for this episode, uh, I usually go into story origin and or pre-production, and Beth and I were kind of texting back and forth earlier. It's like there really is not anything out there that gives us any history on how this movie even got made. Uh, or, you know, we know it was made, or, you know, how it kind of came to be. But this is what we kind of do know. This is very kind of brief, and I'll let Bethany add in what she knows as she watched the commentary uh, of the movie with uh, Gary Marshall, the director, and then she's read the book. So we're just going to kind of, maybe a little different than our normal flow, but we're just going to go with it. So here's what I have. Beaches, which was also known as Forever Friends in other countries, I think, is a 1988 film adapted by Mary Agnes Donahue and based on Iris Rainer Dart's 1985 novel of the same name. Dart wrote for the Sonny and Cher show back in the 70s, and working with Cher inspired her to create a, quote-unquote, no-holds-barred outrageous person, which I think is hilarious. This character (laughs) later evolved into CeCe Bloom, played by Bette Midler, who was a good friend of Cher and had performed together in the past. Midler shared this about her memories of this movie. She said, "'Beaches was the first picture my production company, all girls' productions made for the studio.' We were so excited because it was a musical. She said it was a musical. My first since the Rose. Gary Marshall, who never met a gag he didn't like, filled it with bits of hilarious business. I wrote a couple of the songs, found some songs, rented some of Cher's old clothes, hired the beautiful Barbara Hershey, and were off and running. Women especially loved it, although many men have confessed to me that it always makes them cry too. End of her quote.
0: So one of the things that Gary Marshall mentioned in the commentary was what drew him to Beaches was you didn't see a lot of female right, friendship right. movies. He said that, you know, at that, he's like at that time, a lot of people didn't want to make a movie right, about right. women because they thought it mm-hmm. wasn't interesting. And one of the things, you know he's you know an older man so some of the stuff i was like okay stop calling them girls they're
2: 40s. <laughs>
3: right, right
0: but you know he's god rest his soul he he mentioned you know girls they'll talk to each other and they'll say the most horrible mm-hmm. things to each other and then in the next hour they're mm-hmm. shopping and i'm like okay okay that's
2: <laughs> a little over little a little oversimplification little bit. It's but a, okay
0: yeah but um I, I got mm-hmm. what he was saying, and is it's female friendships are so complex, and he wanted to get to tell that mm-hmm. type of
2: story. Yeah, I think I, in the article that I read, that was he was talking about the commentary. He did make a comment about a lot of the directors that were the big time directors, quote unquote, at that time. He said we're all making action movies, and it was all about big special effects, and that was never his kind of movie to make. So he was like, he kind of was finding his niche in these type of movies that focused on women and their relationships and it seemed to work pretty well for them. So we'll get into that a little bit more as well.
0: It did. I mean, you know, I loved, I grew up loving um, Princess Mm -hmm. Diaries. That was one of my (laughs) favorites and, you know, my mother will be mortified to know that I'm telling this story (laughs) on a podcast, but when I was very, very, Mm -hmm. way too young, I loved the movie Pretty Woman. (laughs) Loved it. And she has this story that she has told me. She's going to be so devastated that I've told this. (laughs) That she she was taking me to daycare. Oh, wow. And I closed the door. or I was getting out behind her. She's walking in front of me into the daycare center, and I said, "Work it, baby, work it." (laughs) So I've I've been a lifelong Gary Marshall fan, is what I'm trying to say.
2: Uh, That's awesome. That is that is fantastic. (laughs) So
0: So sorry, mama. Uh, The
2: the look she got from the other moms, I'm sure, was priceless.
0: Oh yeah, that was it was the (laughs) nineties.
2: All right, so uh, moving on. <laughs> so the script was originally called Remember Me, and they said it mm-hmm. actually stayed that way until pretty much almost until they were you know about to release it and decided to go back with the name from the, uh, the book. So Producer Margaret South says that when the film was completed, they were terrified to screen it for Disney's head honchos because the stakes for their careers were high. She said Gary Marshall sat, out, sat outside in his car. He had nothing to worry about. David Hoberman, who was the Disney executive, a very tough guy, fell on the floor and burst into tears at the end of the movie, she said. So she had a button made for him that said, I cried.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which I thought was
2: fantastic. So, That's great. So that, that's, that's really all I have as far as pre-production. One
0: of the things, because when I first started looking into this, I didn't understand the name, Hillary's name mm-hmm. is... Totally different in the okay. book. Actually, like, her whole character's backstory is completely different. Oh, wow. Okay. And I just searched and searched <laughs> and searched and could not figure out why.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, because in the book, her name is Birdie White.
2: Okay. That's very different.
0: Yes. Her father is dead, not her mother. Okay. She's not super wealthy. Mm-hmm. She's just middle class. She lives in Philadelphia. Okay. And she's like four or five years younger than CC. okay. And they never quite explain why. I couldn't find anything online mm-hmm. explaining why they made that choice to change it.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I kind of understand changing the age difference. I kind of understand the mom being dead rather than the father, because then it really plays into once she gets sick... Mm-hmm. Her daughter like she's realizing her daughter is going to go through what she went mm-hmm. through. But at the same time it was kind of just the name thing really got me. <laughs> I never understood why they changed it from Hillary Whit or from Bertie White to Hillary Whitney.
2: Well, if they were going for that difference of class between the two of them, yeah. then the Hillary gives a much yeah. more it's you know that, a little bit more than I could Bertie. See that. I mean yeah, I I can see if they're if they're trying to tie the name to the character, it makes a little bit more sense. So
0: yeah, I could see that. And so if I talk about the book, mm-hmm. I'll be referring to her as Birdie okay. because that's who she was in the book. Because <laughs> I've been driving Laramie crazy with right. it, because I'll be like, you know, Hillary Birdie, Birdie Hillary, <laughs> and he's, Hillary, Hillary like, Birdie. Uh, I just. Uh, I said, okay, just tell me. <laughs> just.
3: <laughs> and now, these messages. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads.
2: If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot
3: of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas special.
2: Plus classics shown every year.
3: You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers,
2: and Cabbage Patch Kids.
3: Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap-Hap-Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle,
2: and Chant with the Littles.
3: So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories.
2: Later, dudes!
3: Comic books have been around for almost a century.
2: So join us for moving panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about Gary Marshall, the late, great Gary Marshall. You've already said you were were a lifelong Mm -hmm. fan because of Pretty Woman, but he was known more for his TV work, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Mork, and Mindy, just to name a few. He had already directed a few movies with moderate success, Young Doctors in Love in 1982, The Flamingo Kid with Matt Dillon in 1984, Nothing in Common with Tom Hanks and Jackie Gleason in 1986, and uh, what most people love and has become another cult favorite, Overboard with Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn in 1987. I love Overboard. But his first blockbuster came after Beaches, which was, of course, we mentioned already, Pretty Woman in 1990, and then, of course, that kind of set him on a trajectory of the Princess Diaries movies, uh, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, New- pick a holiday. He made a movie about it with an ensemble cast. So
0: Princess Diaries, yeah. Princess Diaries yeah. two.
2: <laughs>
0: As he mentioned in his commentary, Princess Diaries two is like the only sequel he did because he doesn't like sequels.
2: I was going to ask are you, you Gary Marshall fan, but I think you've already answered that question for me. So, but feel free oh, yeah. to to share all the love of <laughs> Gary Marshall that you can. So.
0: I love him. He is, you know, he's just...
2: I was going to ask, is he our national treasure in this episode?
0: He is one of (laughs) two. One of two,
2: yeah.
0: (laughs) One of two. I love Gary Marshall. When I was a kid, you know, I watched Mm. Nick at Night and, you know, Happy Days. I was obsessed with Laverne and Shirley. Like, I wanted to be Laverne (laughs) with everything in my being I loved that she she would drink Pepsi and milk. That's like all I remember about it now. Yeah.
3: Oh yeah, it's Pepsi yeah.
0: and milk, and I would I tried to convince myself that I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Super didn't. No, it's bad. No. Like it gave me acid reflux, and I was like, I hey. yeah,
2: I believe it. I believe it.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I've just he is so. He did. He took the time to let women tell stories. mm Hmm. And should it have been a female director? Maybe. Mm-hmm. But it was Gary Marshall. And he gave women a chance to, you know, it's a book written by a woman. The
3: mm-hmm. The
0: script was Screen written by, play. the screenplay right. was written by a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a, produced by a female company.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he was kind of the person who gave it the name to push <laughs> it out there.
1: And right, he, right.
0: You know, he did really well. I everyone always talks about how good he was, how easy mm-hmm. he was to work with. He just kinda let the actors do their thing and
2: Right, right. Yeah.
0: And so I, think, I, yeah. I was excited for him.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I know he talked about, you know, he's he's the he's the youngest. He's the baby, isn't he? I think so. But he has two older sisters, yeah. or he has two sisters. I don't know if he was a middle child or if he was the youngest. I want to think he was the youngest. Not sure. But he had, but he had two two sisters and his mom. So he kind of grew up around women. So he's like, you know, not that you can ever underfully. I think he made a comment. He said, <laughs> "Men can't, men men will never understand women." He said, but I think women don't even understand women. So, uh, which I thought was a funny <laughs> quote. But, um, but yeah. So he he definitely was more open to. I'm sure their stories and their suggestions like you said and unfortunately probably at that time to make a movie like this a female director probably would not have had no the freedom or the clout to do the money the movie or the money yeah exactly so disney would not have
0: backed a movie by a female director and female cast female Mm -hmm. producers female writers so for the 80s it did a pretty good job right for as far as women are concerned
2: yeah yeah, and I would say I'm I'm pretty much a Gary Marshall fan. I mean, of course, I, I'm more familiar with the TV stuff because I totally grew up with you know when I when I was a kid, those they didn't have Nick and Knight. Nick and <laughs> Knight wasn't around yet. So, but those like happy days, Mork and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley, mm-hmm. like when we would come home, that was what was on in the afternoon. Like that was the afternoon. There wasn't a bunch of talk shows and yeah. reality shows. It was just those kind of it was. You know, one channel would have the reruns of like Beverly Hillbillies and Sanford and Son, and one would have, yeah. you know, Mork and Mindy and Happy Days and all that kind of stuff. So, and I think Happy Days was still on when I was really little. Like, I think I remember the last couple of seasons of that. But uh, so, of course, I knew that. And of course, I was a big fan of Mork and Mindy. Mork and Mindy was on when I was a kid. So I remember watching that. Uh, but then, of course, get into the movies. Uh, of course, Beaches, of course, Pretty Woman. He, you know, he reteamed with, uh, Julie Roberts for for Runaway Bride, which I thought was oh, loved a good, another good movie. So he and Princess Diaries was, was a little past my past my prime. I mean, I've seen bits and pieces, but not uh, not really there for me. But uh, but yeah, but he's still great. And and I they did a really good special on him on ABC mm-hmm. probably a year ago, I think. I mean, he'd been I think he passed in 2017. But uh, that was a really good yeah. kind of glimpse into him. And so, uh, and then of course, the movies that made us just did. Yeah, the Pretty Pretty Woman Woman special. That was really good. So they talked about him as well. So, uh, so just seemed to be an all-around genuine good person, and you always want those kind of people to succeed. And it was great that he had the success that he had, and made movies that will that will live on, that will continue to go back to and enjoy. Because even they're made in a certain era, they're like this movie. But it's like we're about the hair and the outfits tell you that it's 80s, <laughs> but the story is still Don't start still Gary true.
0: Marshall on the hair.
2: <laughs> oh,
0: my gosh. <laughs> Back to that commentary. Every right. time their hair changed, even the slightest, mm-hmm. he talked and talked and talked and talked and talked about how the hair and how he just wanted to make a movie and a submarine where everybody <laughs> had crew cuts and one uniform. <laughs> And every I'm sure. it was hilarious. And one of the things he mentioned was um at the very beginning when Cece is running to her car, uh she's renting the car. Right. And there's right. the rental car guy holding an umbrella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It that uh-huh. was Gary Marshall's son.
2: Oh wow. Okay.
0: And he <laughs> Gary Marshall said that um he told his son that if he got one drop of water on Bet Midler's head. would not get Mm -hmm. allowance for that week (laughs) because if her hair got wet it took two hours to fix
3: wow Wow. and so
0: i just he said and he got his allowance that week so
2: Mm -hmm. you know with the multiple hairstyle changes especially towards the middle of the movie Mm -hmm. i was wondering if bet miller was just wearing a wig for most of the movie because the hair it was probably extensions and stuff more so than a wig it didn't
0: seem now granted he didn't seem to know that detailed of it, but it did seem (laughs) to be her actual hair.
2: Because it made him
0: crazy. Like I believe it. Absolutely crazy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Alright, well let's jump into casting while we're there, talking about the fabulous Bette Midler. Uh, She played Cecilia Carroll C.C. Bloom. Uh, So after Midler's breakout dramatic musical film, The Rose, in 1979, she found herself making comedies like Down and Out in Beverly Hills, and ruthless people in 1986, and then outrageous fortune 87, and big business in 1988. Beaches had its comical moments, but returned her to her dramatic and musical roots. She went on to have more success in the 90s with movies like For the Boys, Hocus Pocus, and The First Wives' Club. So, this was pr- this. I, I think you said this movie was pretty much she kind of spearheaded the whole thing. Uh, she was a producer on it. Uh, there were several things that I saw that the that the a part of Cece was written specifically for her mm-hmm. uh, to play, so, or at least in the screenplay version.
0: Well, I mean, so. even in the book, she's redheaded.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like just reading the book, I pictured—I I couldn't picture anyone but
2: right, Bette right.
0: Midler. I, I was introduced to her watching um, Hocus Pocus. That was—I mm-hmm. was a huge fan of that movie, <laughs> and right. then. You know, and then I went on to love First Wives Club and this movie. But this movie is like it was her way of saying like this is how I'm gonna be in a musical. Mm Because I'm gonna make it and I'm gonna pick out the songs (laughs) and she is just incredible.
2: Oh yeah. I
0: mean she, dare I say it, is an American treasure.
2: No, I agree. Yeah, I
0: agree. She's just incredible. I, I I couldn't imagine anyone else playing her.
2: Yeah, and I'm glad there wasn't there wasn't this. You know, normally we have a list of like these are the people that were considered. There wasn't any of that, so I don't think there was ever anyone. Well, she was the producer. Yeah, she knew she, she was, gonna she was like,
0: mm, and I'm going to be Cece. Right.
2: <laughs> it's like, everyone else is going to have to work with me. And, it's like and the
0: so. Mickey Rooney Judy Garland shows where Mickey Rooney's like, we're putting on a show, and clearly <laughs> I'm the lead. Now, what do you want to do?
2: <laughs> right, right, right. So matching that charisma to play the younger version of CC, someone with just as much charisma, so they found the young Mayim Bialik, hopefully I'm saying,
0: Mayim saying Bialik correctly. Yeah.
2: Mayim, who won the role at age 12 after four months of auditions, said that when she started acting, her parents wrote a letter to different agents saying she was a Bette Midler, Barbara Streisand type, but she didn't think she yeah. would get the part because she wasn't a redhead. She thought she was going to be eliminated. Typical thought of an 11 or 12 year old. So.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, producer Nick Abdo said she was so raw, but really wanted her because she looked so much like Bette, even though Bette didn't think she looked like her any- at all. <laughs> <laughs> Miam also said that director Gary Marshall and Bette had to approve everything about her for the movie. Bette didn't like how elaborate the initial choreography was for the singing dancing number she did. Bette herself redid it and taught her the moves that you see in the final movie. Midler also didn't think Maya's singing voice was enough like hers, so they had another singer dub the song instead, which I was kind of shocked by because I was watching the movie. I was like, "Man, Maya can really sing! Like she's really belting that song out, but it wasn't her."
0: Yeah. Now apparently she can sing. She just she just sang like right, a twelve year old. And because she was twelve, and so Bette Midler wanted her to have a bit more of an adult sounding mm-hmm. voice. Which you yeah. know, even even Mayim Bialik was like, yeah, no, she made a good choice. Like it sounds really good.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was more it was believable that that would be her that would be her voice mm-hmm. at a younger age. So
0: she had only been acting for a year at that point when she was cast.
2: Wow, wow, yeah. she's really good in that role. She was and that was so something good. too. Like you know, when when I saw it, of course, Blossom had not come out, which was the show that she's you know she mm-hmm. became famous in the '90s with. But then like going, well, I think by the time it hit cable and I went and saw it again, I was like, oh, that's Blossom. But yeah. she was, you know, of course, you know, four or five years or, you know, a couple of years younger at that point. So I always thought that was cool. Yeah. Uh,
0: she she even says like she would not have gotten the show Blossom if it weren't for the movie Beaches. No. Which pr- yeah, the movie premiered the week of her bat mitzvah.
3: Okay. So
0: the week of her bat mitzvah, she, w- she said the day of it. She was on the cover of some, like, magazine being interviewed (laughs) and just how crazy everything was. She didn't realize how big of a deal everything was.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure.
0: I was just going to say there was one little fun tidbit of when she's Mm -hmm. under the stairs smoking. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Yep. Go ahead.
0: So, she didn't know how to smoke because she was 12. And she... So, her mom... Or Gary Marshall was going to have like a prop master do it, like mm-hmm. start the cigarette, put it in his mouth, mm-hmm. and and then hand it to her. But her mom's like, "Ew, that's gross." No, if anybody's <laughs> mouth is going to be on it, it's going to be family. And so her mom right. lit the cigarette and then would hand it to Maya Biolic for her to pretend, or I guess she was really smoking.
2: Well, I did notice there was one scene where she takes a puff, but uh-huh. she blows the smoke right back out. So she never. Yeah, she inhaled. doesn't. In-
0: okay, fine.
2: Yeah. All right. <laughs> and it was, and I did see that it was, it was an herbal cigarette, so oh, it wasn't okay. real tobacco. But she said it smelled disgusting and tasted sure. even worse. So <laughs>
0: they're all pretty. They're all pretty
2: awful. Yeah, I was like, that's one way to keep you from smoking. Yeah. is give them something that smells like garbage. That's a good. That's a good plan. And it was
0: really funny hearing Gary Marshall. I don't know how old the the commentary was because he's like, oh yeah, and she's in school now. She's going to be a scientist. She's a very smart lady. She's going to be a scientist right. one day. And I was like, "Oh, that's so cute."
2: Yeah, I think it came out in like 2008. Okay. Or it was like mid 2000s when they did that commentary because okay. it was for the DVD commentary. So it might have been yeah. early early to mid 2000s. Yeah. Cuz she didn't she didn't come on the Big Bang Theory until
0: like 2012-ish.
2: Yeah, something like that. And she was she was already fit I think she was finishing finishing school at that point. Yeah. I think she was doing like double duty for the, like the first season or something like that. Something so. like that, yeah. But Baylik also revealed that she and her young co-star Marcy Leeds, who played the young Hillary, uh are still pals. You they even did a hilarious reenactment of the girls meeting scene from the film in 2016. Which is
0: really cute.
2: Yeah. What's even more fascin- fascinating is Leeds is now a surgeon who helped treat Arizona representative Gabby Giffords after the 2011 assassination attempt on her life. So,
0: Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. A little fun fact. Wow. So, so Marcy Leeds did not continue in acting like Mayim did, but she's doing well with what she does. But
0: they're both like super smart. Super smart. smart. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Which is probably why they're still good <laughs> friends. <Like>. That's
0: awesome. <laughs>
2: All right, so let's talk about Barbara Hershey as Hillary okay. uh, Birdie Whitney.
0: <laughs> Birdie Hillary Whitney. Yeah,
2: there you go. What they, what, one of those. So uh, the versatile actress was first discovered by a talent agent while she was attending Hollywood High School. She started her acting career in television, but the '80s catapulted Hershey's film career when she starred in the Stunt Man in 1980 with Peter O'Toole, The Entity in 1982, The Right Stuff in '83, The Natural with Robert Redford in '84. Hannah and Her Sisters in 86 with Woody Allen, Hoosiers in 86 with Gene Hackman, Ten Men in 87, Shy People in 87, and The Last Temptation of Christ in 1988. A lot wow. of movies. Yeah. <laughs> with that kind of established career, Barbara Hershey didn't have an easy audition because Midler had to leave the audition before they could run lines together, so Hershey had to, had to play the scene against Marshall's assistant. Hershey told The Post, My agent told me I'd done the best of all the actresses, but the studio hit... Studio head said there was quote unquote something missing between me and Bette, and I responded, Did you tell him it was Bette because she left before the audition got started? (laughs) (laughs) So, but misunderstanding aside, they had terrific chemistry from then on, and uh, she got the role. Uh, A few things, a few more things is Ann Archer and Donna Mills both auditioned for the role of the adult Hillary Whitney Essex. One of my earliest things of trivia about a movie—I remember this was all people talked about when the movie came out—was she had collagen lip injections to make herself look younger. She was actually 40 yeah. at the time and was playing Hillary from college age to mid-thirties.
0: Which you never see. Which
2: I never knew what a lip injection or a collagen lip injection was until they talked about that in that movie. And so, <laughs> but it was funny because I saw her in something a couple years later. I was like, her lips look really small, but because the only thing I'd ever seen her in. Was in Beaches. So I didn't know who Barbara Hershey was until Beaches. All those other movies I mentioned, I had never seen uh, the, until that point. And some of these I haven't, I still haven't seen.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I've seen many things with her in it. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, I because you never see that. It's always the opposite. It's always like, well, she's eventually got to be 40. So mm-hmm. we're going to hire a 20 year old and just throw as much <laughs> aging makeup as we can yeah. at her.
2: Well, I did, um, yeah, I did notice for those college shots, they're all wide and far away. So they didn't, you know, they, you know, Gary Marshall was smart to, you know, use the camera to his advantage and not do any tight close-ups when they're supposed to be like 18, yes. 19, 20. So.
0: <laughs> but uh, one thing that he mentioned during the commentary was they auditioned like five or six Hillarys. Okay. Um, And. He said they all did a great job, but it's all about chemistry. It all had to come down to chemistry with Bette Midler. So they had filmed a screen test with, you know, Mm -hmm. Hillary and or uh, with Barbara Hershey and a a few other actresses with Bette Midler. And so he watched those screen tests with no sound on. Mm, Okay. And Barbara Hershey's just shown Mm -hmm. the most chemistry out of all of them with no sound which yeah. i thought was an interesting way to do it
2: yeah i mean that, that makes sense yeah because you'll you can body language tells more than the dialogue will a lot of times
0: yeah because the words could change yeah exactly and the, and you can rehearse the words but mm-hmm. you can't rehearse like that chemistry between mm-hmm. two people
2: yeah yeah very cool very cool yes so we're and and though of course we hit the main people. I'm going to touch on a few others, but not everybody in the cast, but I'll talk about John Hurd as John Pierce. John Hurd was a very talented actor who established himself as a respected thespian in the late 70s and early 80s, though he is perhaps best known for his turn as Peter McAllister, Kevin's dad in the Home Alone movies. But in the early 80s, it would not have been unreasonable to predict that Hurd would become an Oscar winner or a multiple nominee. He he worked with A-list projects, Playing the not so sympathetic son of Geraldine Page in *The Trip to Bountiful* in 1985, for which Page won her own Oscar, and he was Tom Hanks' adult rival in *Big* in 1988. So, uh, which I I remember him in that. But he, you know, he he did become more of a supporting roles kind of guy, like he is in this. But I thought he was thought he was still pretty good. But yeah, when as soon as he came, I was like, it's Kevin McAllister's dad from All Alone*. Yeah,
0: <laughs> the father of the most <laughs> dangerous man alive. Right,
2: right. Kevin
0: (laughs) McAllister. So one of the things that's different in the book with this character, John Pierce, Mm -hmm. Cece meets him during Summerstock. And he's kind of known as this womanizer. Like he picks the youngest girl in the cast and sleeps with her.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Because he knows that she just wants to get a part. And he's like, fine, (laughs) as long as you sleep with me. But um, so Bertie comes to see her and she ends up helping backstage okay and she's 16 at the time because like i said there's like a four or five oh, year right, age difference right, right right and so she sleeps with him and she's 16 and then she has to go home and that's when she cc and him start their relationship gotcha so it's kind of a grosser way yeah yeah for that story to go
2: yeah i didn't uh, know the details a few a few things i said that they did talk about that he was a pedophile that it was that in the book he was a pedophile but they decided not to bring that part of of his story into the movie so
0: that's a wise choice because the book does not (laughs) condemn that choice in any way shape or form it's just a thing that happens and Mm -hmm. i'm like she was 16 years old let's calm down a minute
2: (laughs) all right so moving right along laney kazan as liana bloom Cece's mother uh, she did not want to play CeCe's mother, but eventually said yes in order to work with Bette Midler. She was actually only five years older than Bette, her on-screen daughter. Uh, Kaz- yeah, Kazan has contributed her talents to an endless list of film and television project roles. Perhaps her most talked about role is the hilarious mom, Mar- Maria, in My Big Fat Greek Wedding and its sequel, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2. Love
0: that movie.
2: She was also Barbara Streisand's understudy in Funny Girl in Broadway when she was on Broadway. So.
0: Really, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I did not know that. Good
2: for yep, her. very talented, doing a lot of stuff. So, according to Shelley Winters, in a 1989 appearance on the Sally Jesse Raphael show, Bette Midler wanted Shelley Winters to play her mother in the film, but Winters said she turned it down because she was afraid she wouldn't pass the insurance exam because she was in her 80s I think at that point so she oh. was, wasn't was sure she was healthy enough to, to be on the film so mm. um, and then uh, the last cast member we'll talk about unless you want to bring anybody up uh, Bethany Grace Johnston as Victoria Essex mm. uh, Beaches was Grace Johnston's theatrical film debut after appearing on a few TV shows she went on to play Michael Keaton's daughter in One Good Cop in 1991, 1991. she continued to work steadily in television independent films well into adulthood so she didn't have any other major major film roles, but uh, no. I thought she did really good in the role for she that. She
0: really did. Gary Marshall talked about how talented she was. He wasn't sure mm-hmm. if she was still acting at the time, but one mm-hmm. of the things that he talked about, he's like, you know, she was a kid, so she could, you couldn't keep her attention for very long. Right. And so what he would do is he would bring out a pencil, and he would connect the dots of her freckles and that would get her all excited and then she would go back into the scene and one of the other things another story he told was she didn't want to look at the grave of her mom at the end
3: like she just
0: didn't want to look at it and he wanted that Mm -hmm. moment where Mm -hmm. she had that one final look like her goodbye and so there was like a bee that was buzzing around and so gary Mm -hmm. marshall told her he's like that bee is over by the grave. You need to watch out for it so it doesn't get you. Mm -hmm. And so her eyes were just, like, glued to it because she (laughs) didn't want to get stung Mm -hmm. by the bee. So that was... He was funny. In the commentary, he kept talking about how, ah, this was a day when we had to do a lot of freckle tracing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't see how old she was when she made the movie. So she had to have been... She was young. Yeah. I know at the end, Bet says, you know, I, you, you, know, me and your mom were your age when we met, so gotta think like 10 or 11, probably.
0: I think, I, I know in the book she was like 6 or 7. Okay. Um, But yeah, she does say we were about your age, which she was supposed, they were supposed to be 11, I think, mm-hmm. in the movie. They don't, they don't really stop and take a minute to <laughs> say like, the year was 1985.
2: <laughs> right, right. <laughs>
0: Um, so just a couple of things I wanted to throw out there sure. because Gary Marshall hires his entire family Yes, yes, he to does. be in these movies. Um, but his, he has a voice in it yes. when she does the Broadway audition. Yeah, that I was recon- his voice. I recognize his
2: voice immediately.
0: His daughter played a nurse. His wife played a nurse. Apparently his dad was in one of the scenes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Hillary's Aunt Vesta, the woman that came into the mm-hmm restaurant she was his smoking therapist
2: and oh, okay. she helped
0: gary marshall and henry winkler stop smoking
2: wow that's yeah. fascinating <laughs>
0: and oh, then uh
2: it.
0: marge the drunk woman that slept outside of cc's yeah. Yeah. she was his uh executive assistant <laughs> so
2: what's she so, tell yeah, them, slow was, down Slow down on the gas or something. She had yeah, some line. Sl- Yeah, slow
0: down, slow down on the gas. It's bad for your complexion.
2: Right, right.
0: Bless her. Is she dead? No, nah, she was dead. She would drop the bottle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do love that.
1: <laughs> and now these messages.
3: <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world. So many issues. I don't think I can bear it.
2: Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette.
3: Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something?
2: That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR!
3: But I already get my entertainment news from Variety.
2: Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need. Condensed, unfiltered, and raw. From three nerds who know a little something about something.
3: Wow, okay, sign me up.
2: That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday. Available on all major podcast directories. Well, let's talk about scenes. So let's talk about iconic. So when you close your eyes and think about beaches, what is the one scene that comes to mind? And what's the most iconic scene for you in the movie?
0: It's them meeting on the beach. I don't know why that scene always like sticks out in my head her mm-hmm. coming her, her seeing the little girl under the boardwalk and then coming out
2: mm-hmm. and
0: I don't know why that has just always stuck in my head that scene and basically any of the musical numbers yeah
2: yeah
0: the industry song which was written by Bette Midler mm-hmm. that song sticks in my head because it's so weird
3: yeah
0: and then the Brazier song sticks in my <laughs> head because it's so silly yeah but, you know, and then I was upstairs after I finished watching the movie, singing "The Glory of Love" mm-hmm. over and over and over mm-hmm. again.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, so, just the music and it's phenomenal.
2: Yeah, yeah. This was a hard one for me because I can't. I I don't think of one specific scene. I, I had, it's more like glimpses. Like there's different. Like it says the the musical numbers. The Brazier song has always been hilarious to me. Yeah. Um, and a uh, funny story, maybe not so funny, because I had listened to the soundtrack so many times, and that was one of the songs that it was kind of like, it was one of those guilty pleasures. I was like, I should not like this song as much as I do, but but it's just the wordplay in it is so great. It's just so It's so clever. <laughs> and so uh, I was dating a girl in college, and I went shopping with her, and, of course, she was going to look for, you know, Intimate, says they would call it at the store, and I said, "Oh, you're looking for an older over-the-shoulder boulder holder." <laughs> did,
3: and she, how did that relationship she, work out, she, Tim?
2: She did not know what I was talking about and thought I was being very crude and crass, uh, especially because uh, she did not have boulders. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Timothy. I, I, that's all, that's all I'm going to say about that story. Oh, but that's but yeah. so funny. But yeah, so, okay. uh, so that, that line has always stuck out to me. So, anyway, but iconic scenes, iconic scenes, uh, probably <laughs> the, probably the death scene is probably the most, you know, that, that's, I mean, as soon as the movie starts, like, you know, that's where you're going. It's like, if you've seen yeah. it once, you know where this movie is going to take you. And so, yeah. uh
0: that scene where she falls on the floor and and her daughter and she said the phrase her going i don't know what to do yes yes so relatable Mm
2: -hmm. like
0: you know there have been moments where you've been an adult and scared and Mm -hmm. you're just like i I don't know what to do right like Mm -hmm. i I can't imagine being that young and seeing your mom you knew she was sick Mm -hmm. but now now it's all coming to a head and you don't know what to do. Right,
2: right. That sweet baby. Yeah, yeah. And then even the scene when they're outside. And, and I think this goes to like just acting and Barbara Hershey being so great. But the scene where they're on the beach and she's like struggling to breathe when they're having that conversation. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just tears. Out. I mean, it's just, it, it brings the emotion mm-hmm. out because it's like, uh, it's just, it's it's hard. It's hard. So, and I will say, because if it, if I do get tear-eyed, I will say, we had originally planned to do this episode a few months ago, uh, but unfortunately, yeah. it fell around the same time that a good friend of ours passed away um, from cancer. So we, I was like, I cannot do this episode. There's no way I can get through it. Uh, so, And I said, that is yes. totally so understandable. Yes, so we pushed it, but I will say watching it today, it was still hard to get through some of those moments. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that's my, if I'm a blubbering mess by the end of this, that's why.
0: Yeah. Speaking of blubbering mess. (laughs) So that sunset scene Mm -hmm. when she sees her on the beach and they go and talk. Gary Marshall had Wind Beneath My Wings playing on the loudspeaker to help get that emotion going. Mm -hmm. And he noticed that a lot of the crew had on sunglasses and he got really frustrated and he went to um Dante Spinotti who was the uh, cinematographer and he's like they can't see they're wearing sunglasses I don't know what you want he's like these men Mm -hmm. have tattoos all over their body and they're Mm -hmm. crying Mm -hmm. they can't be seen crying (laughs) and so they put on sunglasses he says every time you play this song they start crying
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, yes
0: so he said oh okay I understand now
2: yeah, I had read, like, for her actual death scene that the entire crew had been become so tight and, you know, really saw them as these two characters because, you know, the chemistry and the relationship they had that they say when they actually had that scene, like, the whole crew was, like, completely falling apart. But Barbara Hershey's teenage son, that was, like, his first day on the set to watch his mom... Uh-huh. He's, like, he's like, what's wrong with these people? She's just acting. It's not like it's real <laughs> or anything. And they're like, you don't it's... understand. You know, we've, we've, you know, connected with these people on an emotional level. So, uh, but yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I could see, you know, you're playing that song in the background as well. Oh, yeah. It's, it's. Yeah.
0: yeah. Honestly, the part, and I don't know why this gets me choked up, but it's, she's finished singing her, the very end of the mm-hmm. movie. Um, She sings, you know, glory of love. Mm-hmm. She's walking off stage with um, her daughter, whose name I can't remember, Victoria. I... And then it's empty, and you hear the the younger mm-hmm. versions of them talk, mm-hmm. and it flashes to them doing the photo booth, uh, photo booth, right. and I just
2: right, oh right, like just gut me one more time, because honestly, yeah, <laughs> I mean. When she finishes the song, she and, and I, I I noticed it this time, I don't know if I ever noticed it before, it's been so long as I've seen it, uh, which I didn't talk about that earlier, but it's been probably 20 years since I've seen this movie. I mean, it's been a long time, hmm. so. But that last part of Glory of Love, where she kind of, with her hand, she lifts her hand, is like she's allowing her to. She's waving. Yeah, and then she waves, and it fades to black, and I'm like, credits, we're done, we don't need anything else. And then you get this extra scene of them walking or telling the story and then, and then you add mm-hmm. the voiceover thing. I was like, oh, come on, man. Don't just you just got to, you know, jab me a couple of times in the heart. Feud, so
0: Yeah. Gary Marshall actually talked about how uh, the movie Beaches has seven endings. <laughs> and so as each part comes to a close and you think okay that's the end he goes and this is ending number five <laughs>
2: this is
0: ending number seven and here's the real ending. right right wow <laughs> so
2: yeah it's like lord of the rings fellowship of the ring i never thought that i didn't think the movie would ever end I had like, oh six my minutes. gosh that movie
0: was never gonna end i had to go to the bathroom and i kept thinking okay okay it's almost done yeah. now nope still going i've,
2: I've told the story before but i'll tell it again we went to like a it wasn't a, was it a midnight showing? Back when they did midnight showings. Now they do at 8 o'clock.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But the, yeah. these were movies that when my wife and I were dating and right after we got married, these were our movies. We would go see the when they came out. And so I had worked like a full, I had not gotten much sleep that whole week. And I was completely exhausted. But we're like, we're going to go to this movie. And I think the, the I think the midnight was sold out, but they had a 1230. And I said, okay, we'll do the 1230. No. don't not realize the movie was four hours long. And so it's like three o'clock in the morning and I'm just like, this movie is great. But I'm like, I have got to go to sleep. And it was like, it's not over yet. it was like, and and now, now Bilbo is <laughs> going to say goodbye to this person. Now he's got to go say goodbye to the elves. I was like, so it's a, it took, it took oh. me a long time to want to watch that movie again. Cause like once uh-huh. I started, it's never going to end. So
0: I don't think I've ever watched it a second time. Oh, yeah. Cause I was so mad <laughs> at the ending. No, we, I have a similar story for, uh, when we went to go see the Avengers, we actually saw it at midnight mm-hmm. and I had been at work all mm-hmm. day. I had I think I slept through that final <laughs> fight scene.
2: So I had the extended I have the extended editions now, but I used to have the extended editions on D V D and we would start Wednesday for Thank before Thanksgiving when we get off you know we got off early for Thanksgiving because Tyra would be cooking hmm. and she's like, We'll just put on a movie, we'll watch so that became like our, you know, all day Wednesday Aww. into Thanksgiving Day and then Thanksgiving Day we'd watched all the whole trilogy so uh, we did that for a long time so we met yeah that, that was so like a tradition
0: then then you had a kid and they opinion yeah. <laughs>
2: and... she's not going to make it through it now so but no yeah. all right back to the 80s we were having our yes yeah, so oh yeah all right, so sorry i kind of, so, uh, <laughs> do you have a favorite scene or what do, any any favorite scenes
0: mm, i i'll have to say i think my favorite scene I really loved watching Maya Bialik sing mm-hmm. The Glory of mm-hmm. Love. I don't know why that scene really got me. I just, I always, I love her, her little mm-hmm. attitude. She sings so cute. <laughs> it's so peppy. I just want to sing that song all day long. And then her mom is in the audience doing the whole theater oh, yeah, mom yep. thing. Of just, Which is just hysterical <laughs> as a theater mom. When I sit and watch mm-hmm. my kid, and I just have to have my hand <laughs> over my mouth.
2: Sit on your hands. Don't don't make a move. No sudden moves.
0: Just don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't
2: yeah. do it, Bethany. Yeah, I, I love that scene. And my my other favorite scene, like comes right after that, is when it when, Beth Midler's older and she's doing her audition and she gives him a little piece of music and she does yes. her part of It Love," and then the guy comes in behind "Sarah, Sarah." I was like, that is so funny.
0: Gary Marshall kept wanting to cut really? that scene. When he when he mm-hmm. came out, he said, "It just we just kept trying to cut it for time, but we just had to leave it in. It yeah. was too funny."
2: <laughs> and I wonder because I was like, "You you would think like once he starts like a, t- a, a you know a note or two in, they would cut to the next scene, but they let him finish the whole thing." But it's no, nah. he it was really good. <laughs> it was really good. I'm trying
0: to look at some of my notes from so okay, the Falcon Theater. I thought this was kind yes. of weird and cryptic. <laughs> So Gary Marshall was talking about how he names a lot of things in his movies after Falcons
3: because mm-hmm.
0: he ran with a crowd in the Bronx when he, he was a kid called the Bronze Falcons. And they were broken up by the police in 1949.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. And then
0: he said that they were a famous baseball and basketball club. I don't know if that was before or after they were broken up by the police. And why did the police break them up? I couldn't figure <laughs> it out. But he just dropped that little nugget in there. And mm-hmm. I was impressed. And then Hector Alizondo, Yes. He's their preacher. Or their, mm-hmm. the The, judge, pre, the, the, the judge, judge that
2: marries them. Right, right, right. Who's and been in every Gar- m- Gary Marshall yes. movie.
0: You notice his neck is not a neck brace. Mm-hmm. He, de- he had to do, apparently, this really quick turn of his head when she mm-hmm. slaps him, and his neck would crack too loudly. Oh, really? And so they really? put his neck in a neck brace to <laughs> muffle the sound.
2: <laughs> that is awesome. I thought that, that is was awesome.
0: really funny. But one of the things Gary Marshall mentioned, he said, you know, people ask me all the time, why do I hire the same people over mm-hmm. and over again? And mm-hmm. he goes because I work with big stars and big stars have big personalities and need a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And I need people there who I can speak to in shorthand <laughs> and not have to pay that much attention and know that they're going to get the job done so that mm-hmm. I can pay attention to them. And basically he's like, I work with a bunch of divas yeah, and I need yeah. people <laughs> that can do what they've got to do so that I can focus on the divas.
2: Right. Well, let's talk about a few Like, of course, Hector Alonso is, Mm -hmm. you know, he's notorious for being in all of Gary Marshall's movies. Mm -hmm. And then I think I read something where there is a Falcon Theater Mm -hmm. and Hector Alonso was directing a show at the the Falcon Theater uh, around around that time uh, or sometime later. So I thought that was interesting.
0: He did mention that there is a Falcon Theater in Mm -hmm. California. Okay. But that he initially got the name Falcon from the Bronze Falcons. (laughs) I don't know what the deal is with bronze Falcons. I did a quick Google, didn't find anything other than a bunch of bronze
2: Falcons. (laughs) So there was also, and I don't, I should have wrote down the the actor's name, but the person that played Carmine in Laverne and Shirley was Mm -hmm. also in the movie. He was one of the actors in the first play where she was the, was the nurse or the... The uh, guard, the prison guard. The prison guard, right. So I recognized him in the league, and I also know I I recognize him again because I just watched um, a league of their own a few months ago with Penny Marshall, okay. of yes. course, and he was in that as one of the dancers. So uh, I I picked him up. But another person, not because they're connected to Gary Marshall, but in the uh, Brazier uh, song, mm-hmm. uh, Otto Titzling, um, <laughs> the the main. The main character, that uh, the main diva
3: mm-hmm.
2: in the story, that is Jennifer Lewis, who we know now huh? from Blackish as uh, the mom on Blackish.
0: That's awesome. Yeah,
2: when uh, I was like, I mean, she's much younger there, but when she started to sing, I was like, wait a minute, I think that's Jennifer Lewis, and I was watching the credits at the end, and she. She had her full name in the credits. So she had like a a middle name. It was Jennifer something Lewis. I was like, wow, that's really her. So I thought that was cool. Uh, A little before they were famous moments.
0: I love stuff like that.
2: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, So, and then that uh, back to Penny Marshall and a league of their own. Mm hmm. uh, There's a fight in. They they do that fight scene in Bloomingdale's where. Yes. and uh, Betty Spaghetti from League of Their Own is the store clerk.
3: Oh
2: wow, <laughs> that's awesome!
0: But uh, he he mentioned this in uh, during this scene is he filmed it without cuts, so the only mm-hmm. cuts are between two different cameras. Okay, he had two different cameras set up on two different tracks, mm-hmm. and they did it in four takes.
2: Wow. And he said, you
0: know, most actors, they need, you know, they can do three lines and then it's cut. Mm
2: -hmm. And then
0: we reset. He said they did the entire scene four times Mm -hmm. and they just had to choreograph it. And they walked all around Bloomingdale's and it was very (laughs) seamless, which I thought was watching it with that in mind. I was like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. That's like a, it's like a stage play. Yeah. Yeah. Which you don't see Mm -hmm. often.
2: It has a moment, there were a couple of moments where I was like, "This, I could see this being, which it became, which became a Broadway musical, which I didn't really get, I didn't really get all those details uh, for the podcast, but uh, there was a Broadway musical of it as well. But I could see it working really well as a stage production, Mm -hmm. even without the musical numbers, I think they could still, it would still work, or, you know, maybe not a full blown musical, but, you know, a, 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 a production with some musical numbers in it, so...
0: There's not a lot of action to it. It's a lot of talking. Mm-hmm. It's right. a lot of conversation and dialogue. And mm-hmm. so that, that really feeds well into plays where it's mm-hmm. conversations rather than things actually going right. on.
2: But going back to Bloomingdale's, you do know that that's not a real Bloomingdale's, right?
0: Yeah, it's a, what was it, a hotel?
2: Well, it was a set. Well, whatever yeah. set it was, it's the same set where they where she had been filming big business with Lily Tomlin, Bette that Miller had. That's right. So they actually did a screen test in that same Bloomingdale's between the, between Barbara Hershey and Bette Midler. But they say huh. you know it because of the carpet. The carpet is very distinctive. Yeah. <laughs> and so they said that that I was... I think
0: had, I had read that. I just yeah. didn't remember yeah. all the details of it. Because they
2: said Bette, Bette was still, when they were doing casting, Bette was still working on big business. So they were like, hey, can we just use this yeah. this section? And they're like, sure. And then when they came to shoot, Beach is like, hey, can we go back and use that same... Whatever. Yeah. If it was a real store, or if it was a if it was a studio, but I, I just think thought it was, that a,
0: was a hotel.
2: It might have been. It's very possible. Because yeah. in the screen test, it's very bare. Because I was I watched a little bit of the screen test on YouTube um, after mm-hmm. I, when I was working on some of this, and uh, the scene that takes place when Hillary comes to the club that you know Ben Miller's mm-hmm. can complain Cece's complaining about. You know, my agent said it was going to be you know this this this. So that scene they use for the screen test in the Bloomingdale's section. But that that whole scene, it was just like that ugly carpet (laughs) and like a yellow couch. And that's where they filmed the little screen test, but it was pretty cool.
0: One other thing. So, you know, when Hillary goes to the library in order to learn all she Mm -hmm. can about the the, the disease she Mm -hmm. has, um, the ballad that she's singing, that Bette Midler's singing over it, was written by Randy Newman. Oh wow. Yes. Which it's such a beautiful mm-hmm. song. It's she's got that green background yeah. behind her and
2: That's I think it's gonna I, rain today song. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It was written by Randy Newman.
2: Favorite scenes. Sorry, there's another one. If this isn't one of those this is a different kind of movie for favorite scenes. Yeah. But I did I mentioned the the audition scene I think was was great. Yeah. I do like the scene. I was just talking about in the theater or in the club when they kind of have their redemption moment, which I I just love that. I love the dialogue. I love the interaction. I love the, it just feels very genuine. It's a great, it's a great scene.
0: I think just to play off of that, it's a little bit different in the book. So first of all, Birdie's husband, like her relationship with her husband is completely toxic from the start um they never have a good relationship and then she and him go or birdie and her husband go on vacation with Cece and john
2: mm,
0: okay and they are cc's also has a drug addiction problem oh, okay. in the book but um when hillary or birdie goes to bed she overhears her husband and Cece in the living room and he tries to seduce oh, her wow and get her to sleep okay. with him. And so he she runs off. Cece says I would never do that mm-hmm. to her. But that's not what Bertie hears. Oh, okay. So she decides to never speak to her again. So they don't speak and then Hillary or Bertie, her mother is in the hospital in uh, Miami, which is where Cece is mm-hmm. performing. And she runs into her in the hotel lobby. And Cece tells her off and she says, How dare you? Who gave you the right to end our mm-hmm. friendship like that? And without telling me anything, like I have no idea what happened. And, um, yeah, anyway, so she leaves thinking that they're not going to be friends anymore. And she does at one point tell her, You know, my mother's sick, she's in the hospital. And there's been this ongoing thing about how. Cece doesn't like hospitals because (laughs) Leona was in the hospital. Bertie is back in the hospital. She's hungry. You know, it's been a long day. And then Cece walks in and she's got two platters of food for everyone to eat. And then Mm -hmm. she thinks that, you know, they've forgiven each other. She thinks Cece leaves, but then it turns out that she's actually gone into her mother's uh, room and is singing her this song that she knows that she used to sing to birdie when Mm. she was a kid Mm -hmm. and that scene in that book killed me Hmm. like i was just like i wish something like i could just picture bet midler doing all of Mm -hmm. this stuff and i could see her singing and you know she's surrounded by nurses and she's singing to her mother or her friend's mother who's sick and i just it's a very I that was my favorite scene in the book. Okay, that I wish had been in the movie.
2: Right, right. Any other big differences that you want to cover now, or
0: um, not a ton. Like I said, just the names were different. The fact that her mom was still living. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, they stuck with it. Cece had drug problems, and then she her career was going down, and she was staying with birdie to, while she was pregnant, Mm -hmm. she got clean, she started losing weight, she met the doctor, fell in love with him, and then got called back to, you know. New York, right. New York, or uh, it may have been Hollywood. Oh, But, either way, you know, she was still there when she gave birth on Halloween. (laughs) But... One of the reasons why the book was called Beaches was every time they met was at a beach. It was a different oh, okay. beach.
2: Okay, see, I was, I was, I kind of wondered about that. I mean, I get it because it starts yeah. at the beach and it kind of ends at the beach.
0: Yeah. So. so every time they meet, so like they first meet in Atlantic City, and then she does Summer Stock, and it's at this place that's next to like a lake beach type thing, and then they meet in Miami, and then they meet in. California, and every little scene takes place at the beach.
2: Gotcha. That makes a lot, that makes some more sense. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's talk about "Wind Beneath My Wings." So, oh boy, Mark Mark Shaman, the film's music supervisor, said that the iconic song almost didn't make it in the movie. Mm-hmm. He said they wanted Bet to do an original song so it would be up for an Oscar nomination, and of course. He wanted the chance to write that song. But Shaman said he always had Wind Beneath My Wings in mind for a template of a song. He had loved Larry Henley and Jeff Silbar's 1982 song since the first time he heard it. He invited Midler and producer Bonnie Bruckheimer and director Gary Marshall to his tiny rental house in Los Angeles to play it for them. He said, I sang it with my back to them because the piano was facing the other way. When I turned around, they were all awash with tears that song spot was locked from that moment on. So ended up being the song that he loved uses a template. They took it anyway. So, but yeah, it, it, it very well epitomizes the story of the song. I think it, it did what it needed to do. Yes. It,
0: it, it's very perfect. That song really, it always takes me back. Um, when Laramie's grandmother passed away, Okay, she specifically asked that he sing, Mm -hmm. That song at her funeral. Mm -hmm. And so my head always goes back to him singing that at her graveside. Mm. Because, and it's just, it's just a beautiful song. And Mm -hmm. it it says so much without, that, you know, you've all, anybody who has any sort of success, it's because somebody supported them, typically. Mm -hmm. Right. Whether it's, you know. A lot a lot of it's self-motivation, but you can only get so far without someone supporting you. And a lot of times that person doesn't get recognized and they're not doing it for recognition.
2: Exactly, yeah.
0: And so I just... That song's so beautiful. It's It's just such a precious way of saying, like, you know, I hope you know that I do see what you've mm-hmm. done for me and that I appreciate it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember... I want to say I sang this because back when <clears throat> they had the little performance tracks, which, you know, I know there was mm-hmm. used several. Um, and I think it was for like a senior appreciation dinner when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a senior and it was for, it was something either for the staff or for, it might've been like grandparents day or it was some kind of special assembly thing. And uh, one of the teachers knew that I sang, because in high school I didn't sing with the choir I was in the theater group and um, we didn't do we were a brand new school, so we hadn't built up any kind of drama yeah. department we were we were very we just did improv every day that's all we had yeah. the money to do you know? like, you know, make your uh, own props right with Who's your
0: imagination li- right
2: <laughs> whose line is it anyway was just starting to come on comedy yeah. central and so it was like our teacher would like bring in recordings of that and we'd watch it and then like which like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday, it was like we would do our own improv stuff. So anyway, I'm way off the subject. But anyway, but I remember <laughs> seeing that for that 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 event, and I think that was the first time I think the lyrics kind of hit me in a more personal level than just, oh, it's a pretty song, and I like the way it sounds, and I like, no, oh, I can sing it well and all that kind of stuff. But it, the lyrics of it and, and seeing these you know, seniors with the staff or the grand—I can't like—is it grandparents day or staff they I don't remember. But just seeing these relationships as I was singing, it, it 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 added a new element of that song for me when I sang it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move to something else. Yeah.
0: Enough <laughs> of that mushy stuff.
2: Yeah. Well, this isn't going to be much better. But anyway, oh, so the, the the disorder that Barbara Hershey develops is known as viral cardi- cardiomyopathy. That's why I'm not a doctor. I can't say these big
0: words. <laughs> that's, that's the only requirement is being
3: able to say yeah, big words. So. And have
2: horrible handwriting, which I'm, two, I'm one out of two. So <laughs> the most common cause of this disorder is infection from the Coxsackie B virus, which drastically weakens the heart, eventually keeping it from pumping the sufficient amount of blood necessary to keep the patient alive. As depicted in the film, it truly was fatal in all reported cases when the movie was made. But since 2005, thousands have been saved with beta blockers and implantable cardio defibrillators. So, yay, uh, science! Right. One good, good, you know, yep. bad but good is that you know yep. that what she what she suffered from. We've been able to uh, not say find a cure for, but have been able to uh, bring those numbers yes. down. So, but
0: yeah, if only if only she could have had something like I don't know something we could pronounce.
2: she says it really well in the movie because she says like that cardiomyopathy cardio cardio cardio, I'm sure if you say it enough times it becomes it rolls off the tongue but you know it just looks like a big word to me cardiomyopathy
0: (laughs) slightly unrelated there was a book I read where uh it was Lauren Graham's book and she talked about how when you write a scene with medical information in it Mm -hmm. until you can actually talk to some sort of consultant to tell you what words to say in the script it just says medical medical (laughs) and so I always think of that when I watch a scene with doctors in it as you know for a long Mm -hmm. time the actor was looking at it and saying like she has medical medical right
2: which is (laughs) the treatment will be medical medical medical
0: medical and then she medical medical medical
2: (laughs) right yeah (laughs) that's funny that probably makes a lot of sense, though. I'm sure that's what they do. Yeah. So, script writers. Like, I gotta Bless their them. hearts. Yeah.
0: They're not doctors.
2: <laughs> no. No, they're not. <laughs> All right, let's talk about box office and critical reception. Okay. We'll wrap, start wrapping this up. Beaches had a limited theatrical release on December 23rd, 1988 in just seven theaters, but still came in 15th at the box office that wow. week. The film took in $5 million during its official opening weekend beginning January 21st, 1989, and it came in second at the box office behind Rain Man. It was considered a box office success after bringing in over $57 million domestically during its full run. So it's kind of a weird thing because everywhere I look, it's like it came out in 1988, which it did, but it was only in seven theaters it's like in 88.
0: Christmas. <laughs> yeah,
2: so yeah. it's like it didn't go wide until 89. But uh, anyway, so... Uh, but, yeah, it, it still did really well. I mean, coming in, I think Rain Man was in its second week, so it was still at number one, but it debuted at number two, which was, you know, wow. at that time, you know, in the Christmas box office season, it's still... still That's really uh, good. Really good, so. That's awesome. So, yeah, so Rotten Tomatoes gives it has a 40% on the tomato meter and an 88% audience score. IMDb has it as seven percent 7 out of 10 with a 46 on Metacritic. The critics just not like this movie at all. So,
0: I guess I'm more on IMDb side of, like, it's a solid 7.
3: Yeah,
2: I'm, I agree. Uh,
3: it's yeah, not I a agree. perfect film. No.
0: I'm sorry, Barbara Hershey, there are some times when she's supposed to have a very dramatic moment, and I, it doesn't hit right.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: But for the most part, it's a really good movie. Yeah. And it tells a story that doesn't get told very often. Right. Which is female friendship.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a solid seven with you. But I got, because I think, I wish there was more of their, I wish we saw more of their relationship to get there. Yeah. Like I think, like the, they're good relationships. Right, the musical moments are great, but they mm-hmm. almost interfere with telling their story. So yeah. when you get to the end, yeah, it's still emotional, but I don't feel the emotional punch as hard as I would if I saw more of their relationship. Like there are a couple of times I was like, why are you guys even friends? Like, why yeah. do you want to hang out with each other? I know you met each other when you were ten, but now why do you still become friends? I don't think we got enough of those moments. I think you get it there at the beginning when they're living together in the apartment, but then yeah. as as their their lives kind of grow apart they would still have fun times. I mean, I think about the relationships my wife has had, I'm sure you've had with other, you know, other people or even relationships I have, relationships aren't by gender. So, or at yes. I have with a friend of mine that I may not see for five or six years. But when we talk, it's like that, that time and distance doesn't matter. It's like, we're still right. close because there's, there's, there's a bond, whether it's five years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, you still have that connection. And I don't think it, portrayed that as well as it could have, even though it's still it's still a good movie. I just don't think it... I think it relied a little bit too much on Bette Midler's performances, which were fun and were great, and each one I enjoyed. But at the end of the day, if you took those out... Would, would there the, have been time would, yeah, would there to be enough? tell that, more yeah. of that story? Yeah, know, I it, agree with yeah, you. Because it's, right it's right at two hours movie, so it's... I mean, it's not like they... You know, if they cut all the musical numbers out, you might be at like 145, maybe. So if you bump that in with a little bit more of the character development, more of their relationship, just them right. ha- hanging out. And, and, you know, you know, it, it's cliched, but even if you had a montage of things that they did together to help kind of yeah. build that would have... would have
0: More of them playing cards, even. Yeah, Because exactly. they had that sprinkled throughout, yeah. but I, I don't think it was sprinkled throughout enough. Yeah, yeah. To like really hit home at the very end when mm-hmm. they're playing and again with the whole thing with hair, she's got her hair in that <laughs> towel and Gary Marshall is so tickled because it only took 20 minutes to do her hair that day.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But, you know, I, I feel like that moment would have hit a little bit better if it were for the fact that they had sprinkled some more of those moments throughout Those sweet, Like I love that moment. Going back to favorite scenes mm-hmm. when it's Christmas and they're mm-hmm. laying in bed yeah. and they're singing the Christmas songs and mm. I sang all those dreidel songs with <laughs> one you. Song. One dreidel song.
2: <laughs> yeah, let's sing uh, whatever the song in Latin. Like who knows? Oh, the come Latin? all ye
0: faithful yeah. in Latin. Right, right. But I mean, I do have one of my oldest friends. I've been friends with her for twenty years. She was the uh, maid of honor. My wedding, we mm-hmm. were college roommates, graduated high school together, met in sixth grade, just got engaged this weekend.
2: Oh, congratulations. So we were,
0: you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, female friendship. It. She and I have been, have yelled at each other and <laughs> screamed at each other mm-hmm. and been like borderline about to punch each other in the face. But she is also one of my oldest, dearest friends. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just... Female friendship works weird. I, I mean, all <laughs> friendships work weird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Just I mean, all like, people are weird. He, yeah. Humans are weird.
2: Going back to Gary Marshall's comment about men, we can, we can be stubborn, but I think as you mature and you get older, you don't hold those grudges like you do when you're younger. And so, uh, yeah, I've apologized to friends, people I was really close with, and then we had a falling out. And then I see him, you know, five or ten years later, like, man, I'm so sorry. I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Don't even worry about it. And it's like, you know, you're holding on to something. Like, oh, thi- well, I've carried yeah, this for I've been thinking years. That you. years. Can you please accept that, my apology? Yeah. <laughs> I've been walking around thinking if you saw me, just punch me in the face when you saw me because of how I treated you yeah. or because I said something that I shouldn't have said or whatever. And then it's like it's no no big deal. So, but anyway. I, I,
0: you know, friendship's universal. Mm-hmm. And it, it's... It's nice when it's a story, there's some love sprinkled in, but that's not what the story's about Mm -mm, mm
2: -mm. at all. And I'm glad it wasn't Um, that as well.
0: Honestly, like like the book is even less Mm -hmm. because the books, like both the men are kind of bleh. (laughs) You don't really care for either one of their husbands. Mm -hmm. And so it's nice that the focus is on their relationship with each other. That's the point of the story. That's the driving factor. And I kind of... Wish that in this movie, Bette Midler didn't end up going back. She doesn't end up dating the John Mm -hmm, guy again. mm -hmm. But I kind of wish she didn't go back to him. Like she could just move forward.
2: Right? She wouldn't do
0: where it felt like she went
3: back.
2: Yeah, because it did feel that way. Knowing that she left the doctor to go back, you know, it's a big role. She Mm -hmm. didn't say anything about him being the. You know, he was the director or whatever he wanted to. So that scene did feel.
3: Uh, pointless. Yeah, it's like unnecessary. Yeah,
2: it was, it, unnecessary. That's the word. I'm, it was unnecessary. It's like I would have rather her just had a big opportunity with a network or a bigger show or a bigger director. Or, you know, have a good. Yeah. can You know, Gary Marshall I have a cameo. See
0: the director. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know something else. So I didn't. I didn't think that was it. And it did kind of allude to oh maybe they're going to get back together even though it's never you know fulfilled yeah. and, on or maybe just maybe they wanted that resolution of where. When they left, they didn't leave, leave on the best of terms and wanted to kind of closure. I
0: kind of felt like they did have that closure on the steps of that theater mm-hmm. where he was just like, this is not me.
2: Right. You right. go
0: out, you do what you, which was noble. I think that's yeah. great. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. That's what he wanted to do. Yeah. He said, you know, that's what you love. Go do it. Mm-hmm. It's not for me. I'm staying here.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And that felt like closure to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand why it was necessary for him to come back around and say, "Oh, and also, you're going to work for me again." Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks.
2: Bye. Yeah.
3: Yeah. All
2: right. Well, still a good movie. Still though. Still a good movie. Yeah. It's like we're we're <laughs> we're we're nitpicking at this point. It's still enjoyable. Yeah. Once again, it. But that's it,
0: when you know it's a good movie. Yeah. It's when you can nitpick. it. Yeah, and
2: still love it. You know, and still yes. appreciate it for what it is. Because once again, it's. It's still great. It's still worth watching. It's not something you want mm-hmm. to put in, you know, every weekend and just hey, or, you know, if you want to just <laughs> skip to no. all the all the musical performances and and skip the story, yeah. it's fine. But. Just
0: buy the just buy the soundtrack right. on a cassette tape. Right. Stick it in your in your car, mm-hmm. and just ride around with there it all go. the time.
2: There you go. All right well thank you Bethany so much for being a part of this episode. It's always a pleasure to have you on. we'll we'll pick a fun movie next time. let's uh,
0: yeah no, let's...
2: no more tear jerkers for a while.
0: Okay, terms of endearment I haven't seen that one. is that
2: one? <laughs> that one's no we don't <laughs> we don't want to do that one. All right, thanks Bethany so much. appreciate you. Okay. <laughs> thank you. All right, thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. Another way to reach us is through our social media pages. Search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a 5-star rating along with a stellar written review. And don't forget to follow us on Apple and Spotify as well. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode's show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s flick flashback.
3: You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go!